32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. And I'm Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it takes us. But first, do you love us? Are you feeling down? Want to put some good vibes out into that world? Would you enjoy United Ireland badge or a get in the sea tote bag? Well, it's time for you to get onto our Patreon and sign up and make that joy spread into your life and ours. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. You say Patreon. I say Patreon. I think it's because I say you're so patronising so much and it just feels natural. That's not a very good (laughs) brand link. (laughs) Anyway, what it is, is our crowdfunding mechanism for making this podcast brill. We need your support to uh, help make it happen. And um, I mean, it's hard to ask people to give you a few quid, but it is only three euro a month. And with that... Well, that's the minimum. Let's just say you can give more if you want to. Yeah, correct. But... um, with that money, we will be able to pay our production folk and make this podcast a maze. So we really need your help. Please, we're begging and we love you. And thank you so much to everyone who's supported so far. You are brilliant. This week's county is... Mayo! This, Abu. this week's question... The planet is on fire. Can the green wave extinguish the flames? Coming up, we're talking to the green politician everyone else is talking about, but we actually get to talk to her in person. Saoirse McHugh is in the studio with us for the chats. But first, <laughs> the week that was, we've just been talking for, we were having our little meeting before this. Nothing actually happened this week. Zilch. Everyone was in bank holiday mode. Not a thing to be discussed and not a, anything to be said, really, was there? Yeah, or maybe we just weren't paying attention. <laughs> maybe we were in bank holiday mode. Um, yeah, so people are kind of recovering from the banker, I suppose. Trump is in town. We're going to talk about that next week. Let's not sully this podcast with his presence. So um, what did you get up to for the bank holiday? (laughs) I went to Forbidden Fruit and let my hair down. Excellent work. I had a different kind of weekend. I I injured my back. Oh my gosh, you must have been doing something high octane. No, I was doing doing a jigsaw. I'm trying to manage my stress levels with some um, mindfulness vibes. Uh, and then you wreck your back that yeah. seems a bit more stressful if you ask me so the thousand piece jigsaw of an English country garden did not serve me well oh was it a wild country garden no you're looking well we will be talking about we rewilding uh, this podcast say and, no to Mo and <laughs> and Andrea is also interested in this for her prospective gardening projects that is serious <laughs> yeah okay let's go hit me with some mayo facts it has a population of 130,000, very much a mid-sized county population-wise. Castle Bar, mid-sized car. Did you get the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt reference? No. Okay. <laughs> um, it is home of the ultimate Irish boss woman, Grania Whale, Grania O'Malley, pirate queen. It also has the potential to be Ireland's energy engine... <laughs> Blah. Sorry, Forbidden Fruit is definitely having an effect. <laughs> Wind, tidal, hydroelectric resources. Yeah, apparently so. North Mayo is, you know, quite wild and has loads of water and wind and tidy vibes. I think we everywhere. Like, I just still can't understand. And maybe we can talk about this later. Why the hell we don't have more wind turbines? Like I, this we're is, wind central. This is a question that Saoirse McHugh will be able to answer later in the podcast. It is also Gwaltuk area. Mahu. Uh, and of course well part of it is obviously <laughs> some people uh, 
And as a as a Gaelic expert myself, <laughs> <laughs> there's the consistent heartbreak at the All-Ireland final, losing to Dublin by a point in 2017, 2016, 2013. That was very heartbreaking, especially. And losing to Donegal in 2012. In what sport would that be, Andrea? <laughs> that is... <laughs> Football. Okay. Well, listen, Andrew just mined a football in studio. Um, you know, as a Dublin fan myself, I even I'm heartbroken at this stage at Mayo not being able to to win the All Ireland. And I have to admit, in 2017, I kind of wanted them to win. Why just that year? I just felt like it had there'd been okay. This is 2012, 2013, 2016, 2017. Like I just. It was so frequent and I have some amazing Mayo people in my life. And also, I'm an extraordinarily generous and altruistic soul. <laughs> Whoa, that was very Yeah, Ursula. that was like, wow, that was like quite the laugh at uh, my... Po- no, I did want them, um, I kind of wanted them to win sneakily. But then obviously... Imagine the party if they won. Like, they just deserve it. Yeah, it's the it's the kind of the sports feels part of me that wants them to win. But obviously, as a Dublin fan, I just want Dublin to reign supreme for all time and destroy everyone <laughs> in their path, which is working out quite well. Um, a friend of mine who is from kind of the, well, North Galway, but um, she was uh, with her male pals at the Spice Girls the other week. And after, she sent me a photo of them <laughs> after the gig, all of the Mayo girls had were like kind of congregated seance like um, praying after the, the gig for Mayo to return to Crow Park. So that kind of dedication that even after... Um, a girl's buzz night out. Maybe one or two white wine spritzes. <laughs> that there was a Mayo meditation in Croker. So big up the Mayo GA fans. And I hope it does happen for you. I just hope um, Dublin aren't the team you're going to beat. But our county rep this week, to represent their county, um, we're all about science and facts on this Green Wave edition of United Ireland. And our county rep earned her degree in theoretical physics from UCD, where she is now a lecturer in maths, smart, and also received her PhD in maths education from Trinity College. She is a broadcaster, musician, and proud Mayo woman, and the smartest person in every room. Dr. Evie Nihulvon. I'm from a tiny village called Carnacon, and you will know you've got to Carnacon because it still has a telecom air and phone box, uh, still painted green. That is at the crossroads, and that is kind of our marker. There's a church, there's a tiny little shop, and there's two pubs, one of them being my uncle's. Obviously, you'll get the best Guinness in Mayo as well, and the cheapest Guinness, which is always nice to have. Um, so that's where I'm from. It's between Claire Morris, Castle Bar, and Ballinrobe. What do you love about Mayo as the Queen of Mayo? <laughs> the panty might have something to say about that. <laughs> she might just. <laughs> um, obviously, it's the best place in Ireland to come from. Um, but if I have to list a couple of things, what do I love? I love how the sky is just open and clear. So when you're coming down from Dublin and there's no noise and there's nothing in your eye line apart from a beautiful horizon, be that like lots of lovely trees or a beautiful Crow Patrick or just lambs in the field, which I love going down to see them in springtime. Um, so just that, the, the, the views. And being on the water is my favorite thing about Mayo. So um, 
we're just beside Loch Cara and it's a beautiful lake to go out fishing in or just even to go out to visit one of the islands. Um, we've been swimming in it last summer. We were swimming in it loads. So just the lakes are just beautiful. And then the beaches. I actually think we have the nicest beaches in the whole country, but thankfully not everyone knows that yet. So just in and around Westport, Lewisburg, up in Ackle, um, up in North Mayo, there's just gorgeous beaches. So that's what I think the the county or the county is just lovely for that. And then you have to love the fact that we never lose hope in the fact that this year will be the year for Sam. Always. So Mayo for Sam twenty nineteen. Last week on Primetime, RTE pitted Michael Healy Ray against Green Party T D Catherine Martin for a debate on climate change. If that wasn't enough, he was also on the Late Late Show on Friday. Where do you find new people? Uh, And he was talking about haters and bullies and trolls. Myself and Andrew are kind of saying there is a difference between like people being trolled and bullied and people giving out to you because you're just being an absolute dose (laughs) about something. (laughs) Part of the reason we're doing this podcast is precisely because of that kind of current affairs broadcasting, um, the false equivalence, manufactured balance, kind of punch and duty stuff. And it does create unhelpful binary debates. Obviously, the climate crisis is not up for a debate where the facts are concerned. Different kind of, you know, tactics to address it and all that kind of stuff can be discussed. Um, and Michael's bro, Danny Healy Ray, is effectively a climate change denier. And I suppose when it comes to the Healy Rays, Michael is his brother's keeper. They run on the strength of their family uh, surname brand. So we're going to talk about the climate crisis in a different kind of way because this week's question on uh, the county of Mayo is Andrea the planet is on fire can the green wave extinguish the flames in the recent local and European elections the Green Party went from 12 councillors nationally to 49 which is quite the jump and became the second highest party on Dublin City Council which is great Um, maybe we'll see less of those rivers being boarded up for flood potential um, which we'll talk about later which is a massive shift some familiar names such as Kieran Cuff returned to the major political arena as he topped the poll in both the locals in the north inner city electoral area and in Dublin as a European candidate meaning an Irish Green is heading to the European Parliament for the first time in 15 years and there were also plenty of new names um, a new era of young Green Party candidates I suppose unsullied a little bit by the disastrous uh, Green Fianna Fáil government that limped through the economic collapse of the country and led to the party's electoral wipeout in 2011. Um, And amongst those names, uh, Saoirse McHugh became the unlikely star of the recent European Parliament elections in Ireland. She got over 51,000 first preference votes in Midlands Northwest constituency and she rode what became a green wave. But for many, the reason she cut through was her authenticity and frank communication skills, particularly in the final week of the campaign. Saoirse McHugh is here. Welcome. Hi. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Have you been overwhelmed by fandom in recent weeks? Yeah, and actually it's been kind of embarrassing. I get some emails and people are throwing around words like inspiration and breath of fresh air. And I'm like, okay, relax. I'm not really. I'm just If someone says you are, you are. Uh, It just feels so weird though, doesn't it? (laughs) And, you know, obviously I'm not getting back to them being like, I'm really not. You need to up your hero bar. (laughs) But... It does definitely feel odd because I, you know, I've just 
Do you actually said what everyone's thinking, you know. So why do you think that is? Why do you think people, we're going to get into your kind of political journey uh, in a little bit, but why do you think people responded um, in that way? Because if you looked at Twitter or, you know, the letters pages or listening to kind of people read out comments on radio shows, it was like, this woman is amazing. She's brilliant. (laughs) Um, I don't know. And the only thing that I can think of is that you know not to sound like the enormous populist that I am (laughs) is that like politicians feel so different from us and they act different and they speak differently and like I found myself at these hustings that we have you know you're sitting in a on a panel and people are asking you questions and I found myself looking like that's a lot like I'm shocked (laughs) at some of the answers coming out and and then, you know, we'll be at another, say we're at the farmers hosting one night and then we're at the environmental hostings the next night and people are saying totally different things and I am horrified by them. And I think it is... Had you ever met politicians before? <laughs> I've seen a few, Michael Ring's been at a few funerals I've also been at, but I've never interacted with them and I don't feel like one of them. Right. And I wonder, is it that after a while, politicians become polished in a certain way and they 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 become more cagey in what they say and you know I'm not trying to get in on the whole Trump kind of I say it as it is but I I wonder was that it was it that people just are like okay this person is talking like a human Mm. I suppose it's also the motivations for people entering politics in the first instance because a lot of the time like you say when we encounter politicians or you know hear them in debates or whatever it's like who are these people where do they come from why do they not speak normally why do they talk like a press release or if they've had like three intense you know months with Terry Prone to like sound authentic um, and <laughs> You know, I suppose the motivations are also um, why people get disheartened with how politicians communicate, because a lot of the stuff, as you well know, as we all know, there can be, you know, the desire for power. There can be, you know, this is the family business. This is a a legacy or dynasty issue. Or um, there can be political ideologies that are very, you know, fit in very much with either, um, you know, centre-right stuff in Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil or ideologies that are very unwavering and people are just not necessarily practical about their thinking that it's very much fixed within yeah. a, within an ideology and I guess this is the thing that people say all the time it's like normal people should run for politics and you know if you have a good idea what if all of the like people who are doing great stuff in the country actually stood you know for election but it's such a difficult course to take and it's so um, you know Demanding, it's so demanding. So, what yeah. what was your motivation for going into this arena? Um, I had been going to all different any politician who'd grant me an interview. Um, I, some of them I was saying I can write environmental policy for you because a lot of our political parties don't even have an environmental policy. I was going to ones who had you know a mention of food sovereignty in their manifesto I mean like let me flesh this out for you and then I had other ideas there was a an American group who help countries bring in the rights of nature and so I was saying oh if I could organise a conference would political parties get involved like I was desperately trying to make them do something and I was talking to Eamon Ryan and he said to me why don't why don't you stand for election? 
And I was like, ooh, me, oh, um. And I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of a single reason except that I didn't want to because it'd be really scary and I hate the attention and I had no social media accounts. And so I did in the moment of madness. I was like, okay, fine. And then it just, I had done that. And by the time my name was on the ballot, I was like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing now. Um, But it was that not thinking, like in two years of you know, trying writing articles that were published by very few people or contacting different politicians offering to volunteer or offering to volunteer in Mayo County Council's climate change office. Um, it had never occurred to me to stand for election. Why? Because I, well, because I felt, and I don't know if everyone else, I felt that politicians are different. I couldn't even imagine how to make that jump. And if it wasn't for, I suppose, the Green... Eamon Ryan suggesting it to me it might never have occurred to me Mm. to run I remember a friend of mine who um, works for a political party saying that when she would be asking um, women to run it would take like six seven asks and if you versus when she was asking men to run where basically like by the end of the conversation their poster is already up in the yeah. lamppost beside, <laughs> yeah. beside where you're shaking your hand yeah, thanks yeah, for coming yeah, thanks yeah. for coming. asking you for like donations yeah. um, so that's interesting but uh, let's go back a little bit um, you are from Ackle which is a very specific place in, in, in Ireland and very particular in terms of its environment and its location tell me a little bit about growing up there or your life there well Mum and dad are both artists um, and for money dad runs a he manages a a studio space and gallery up in Westport and my upbringing felt totally normal like it's an odd question to answer so there was way more kids there was way more people in Ackle then like I look at it now and it is empty and there's you know one or two or three families with children but there used to be hordes of us running around the place um, and the big I think the big uh, holiday home building boom really exacerbated that feeling of emptiness that's there now. So that was totally normal. Went to the local school, was ace on the credit union quiz. Uh, (laughs) Like just an average, you know, stellar. um, Loved playing football until I was about 13. The usual, you went (laughs) in the secondary school, nothing exceptional at all. Um, and then I ended up going to then I ended up going to UCD right and I decided to do genetics because and I swear to God this is the only reason because we were doing that chapter in biology that week that we had to fill out the CEO and I was like this is kind of easy and my principal God bless her was like seriously you do not want to do genetics you should do English or something like that and I was like no I want to do genetics so I did four years of genetics in UCD and I Oh, I limped through it. I just never loved it. Um, always, you know, going back at the weekends and the summer to Ackle. And then I went off to the States to work in a stables, which was a really hard job because of the amount of horses they get in. It was a Houston SPCA and the amount of horses they get in. And I realise now, looking back, that vet at the time was just euthanasia happy. And you know, euthanizing a cat or a dog, you wrapped up in a towel, but euthanizing a horse is really quite a, a hands-on <laughs> kind of job. Um, this took a dark turn. <laughs> yeah. This is this is characteristic of most of my conversations. We just got into bed last night and my boyfriend was like, oh my God, is this a feather pillow? And I was like, do you know how they make them? 
Like <laughs> every conversation I have, I have to bring it down. So maybe, yeah. I'll no, that's now. okay. Continue to talk about the horse euthanasia. Anyway, I left them. I left that because it was such a hard job. And I ended up working on farms and stuff down in Mexico. And that's where I saw... And it's mad that it only ever occurred to me then, but that's when I saw politics and how that was involved with food production. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of food was being grown there? Was it like fruit or nuts or? Well, I ended up working with on um, like a seed seed saving projects down there. So since NAFTA in '94, I think it was, um, Mexico had suffered huge uh, corn dumping of American highly subsidized big fat yellow American corn. What is that? What is corn dumping? Well, food dumping. So it's it's you know Europe does it to Africa an awful lot, countries in Africa. Our the Euro, the US's agriculture is so heavily subsidized, they can get rid of it at a much lower price so they can undercut the local food market, the local right. agricultural market. And what the run-on, the knock-on effect this has of course is a lot of areas in Mexico, rural depopulation happens. They go into the cities because there's no longer profit in farming. And so they go into the cities and end up working in factories and this usual like. Um, but a lot of the land races, a lot of the native varieties of corn in Mexico were just lost or on their last legs in terms of um, how many people were growing them and how many people you know were cooking with them and so I was working with a group that were trying desperately to revive a lot of the older types of corn um, and a group looking at land restoration because once again rural depopulation and then larger farms were buying up farms and of course it's, it's the same thing you see everywhere you know big industrialised farms were coming in and destroying soil and channeling rivers into these little ditches and just making everything rubbish um, and so there I was like right I have to learn more about this and so then I decided to go back to Lancaster to go to Lancaster and do a Masters in Sustainable Agriculture and Food Security and then is where I started like everything is wrong oh my god <laughs> how do I fix this how do I fix this <laughs> it, it's being framed as a cost issue rather than we're all, like the place is on fire the place is on fire I do think we can change. I don't know what it will take for that to happen because to me, <laughs> like, I, I was walking here, I was walking to the bus stop to get here today and I saw, you know, a big tractor on the little park in my grandmother's estate, uh, like just mowing everything away and I was like, oh my God, please stop. Everything to me is so kind of heavy with is this killing our planet or yeah. is this not? Um, and I don't know I do think our media will have to get on board with this and I think it should almost be dependent their license their their fees however they get paid should be dependent on them actually being a service because wheeling out the Healy Rays is like it, that, that was you know out of date 10 years ago yeah it's ridiculous and it's pretending that it's like this debate I think it was Darrell Breen who said it's the same thing as wheeling out somebody who's like oh and this man thinks the sky is a carpet made of stars and it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's it doesn't serve anyone and it's not even controversial it's just lazy yeah um, 
Let's talk about some things that happened um, in the immediate aftermath of um, the locals and Europeans. So, as I was saying, you know, Leo said that thing of, um, you know, the public has sent a message and we are going to listen to that message um, and we will act on that message. Mm-hmm. And um, but then you have the, the stuff around stifling the debate around the um, climate emergencies bill and then also this license issued to um, a drilling company to drill mm-hmm. off Kerry. What is the story, first of all, with that drilling thing? Because it's been kind of a d- bit difficult trying to get information on it. I kind of get a it's bit muddled. It's an exploratory drilling licence um, that they've granted. And Sinead Mercier did a really good piece. Um, she wrote a really good article about how drilling off Ireland is fairly useless anyway. Like we have a really low rate of fines per exploration. Um, and even if we do, you know, there, there's this story that Bruton always trots out that it's to do with our energy security and stuff like that but we pay the same as we would if it, if that gas came from Scotland or Norway um, so I'm not even sure why they're bothering but the exploration itself is really damaging to sea life so they float these big beams out behind ships that blast sonic or seismic blasts down to you know refract off the seafloor and that obliterates zooplankton which of course is the bottom of the food chain there um, if we did find if they did if they did find gas or whatever they're looking for it will just you know lock us in further to fossil fuel dependency um, they are saying now that we could be sued um, for stopping them so they've added this money message which is some legislative procedure I'm not even fully sure I understand it but I think, and you you might get, if you put this in, you might get a load of tweets saying that's totally wrong. But I think it's to do with this, you know, investor protections, whereby a company is protected against their investments. But one of the issues someone was explaining to me the last day is we grant these licenses. So it's not even like they've been granted and then retracted. We can just say we're not giving out anymore. Like they're not entitled to these licenses. Um, I don't believe Fine Gael care a single jot about the environment like they will consistently and repeatedly not vote like they do you've seen it with the heritage bill the single use plastics bill the microgeneration bill the community energy bill there's bills and bills and bills in the government sitting in front of them that are being blocked by different kind of just like there's trickery happening non-constitutional in some in some areas is what they're saying about how they're blocking Breed Smith's bill this mm-hmm. climate emergency bill um, and just doing it badly just I think Leo summed it up perfectly when he said that they want to take serious climate action that works but also sensible climate action that reduces gas emissions but not climate action that makes us poorer or costs jobs or threatens our security so it's kind of like the focus is still on the money and the jobs and yeah. as opposed to being alive but but that's but that's not even that's a that's a focus that's pre-wedded to nothing changing mm. because there's not very many um scenarios of a wholehearted transition to a low carbon economy whereby jobs aren't created and quality of life isn't improved and there's great space in any new economic transition for redistribution of wealth and stuff which I think Fine Gael are fundamentally opposed to yeah it feels like and maybe I'm going out on a limb here that they hate poor people and the environment 
and they would well it do, <laughs> you know and they I'm all about nationalising so many resources utilities services should be nationalised and they are ideologically opposed to that um, and I don't think he Leo or Fine Gael want to make any want to take any action on the environment because they've known about this for 15 years they've known how important this is the last five they've known like this is like seriously house on fire important and they're acting like it's it's a fad yeah or it's a trend that will just go away if they can yeah 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 we'll do something we'll do something we'll do something and they're not even trying to pretend they're doing something mm. They're like, but first, new new drilling licenses. Let's talk about um, a thing that happened also, I think, the day of the count. Um, Peter Casey was in a radio studio and you were on the phone <laughs> and he started lecturing you about plastic bottles. Um, <laughs> but one of the, the thing that he was saying speaks to a wider piece about this whole shit show, which is... Um, you know, consumer or individual behaviour mm-hmm. versus these broader top-down legislative pieces that we have. So I was talking to this guy um, recently who works in um, a European climate fund type thing that's kind of largely philanthropic and um, he kind of works on what projects should different uh, money that people mm-hmm. are donating to climate causes should go to. And he was kind of saying that basically you can talk about consumer or individual behaviour all you want, but ultimately it, you know, it's kind of irrelevant in a way, like it is a drop in the ocean. We should all be more conscious, obviously not use single-use plastic, mm-hmm. not eat meat, you know, not get on a bajillion flights a year, which I'm terrible for, but I also feel like I, awesome. I don't have um, children, so I kind of am offsetting with flights. Yeah, <laughs> Is that a fair trade? It's a trade I'd like, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but anyway, but, but, so this kind of thing around um, that, you know, an individual can do as much as they want, but what we need are top-down government policies. And you spoke during your campaign about, like, we need to take the big polluters to task. We need to take industry and manufacturing to task about this kind of yeah. stuff. Where do you see um, th- that? Uh, what what will have the biggest impact? Um, I think tackling the fossil fuel industry will have the biggest impact. I would totally agree with your man there that we can only do so much. Like my life is riddled with guilt, guilt over what I wear, what I eat, what I buy, and even within what I eat, I'm like, oh, I don't eat meat. I'm not eating dairy here. Oh, where's this soy from? Oh, it's an avocado. Like. <laughs> Uh, poor Saoirse I'm just <laughs> riddled with uncomfortable oh we burn coal because I'm in a house that's 200 years old and the stove box is too small to put wood in you know it's it's impossible for a person to we're not all going to go off grid you know we we are you can't put the genie back in the bottle we're going to live in these interconnected societies where we do have luxuries Um and I think one of the first things that would have to happen would be getting lobbying out of government. Get Like I understand where lobbying started was groups of citizens organising in order to bring their cause to a politician, but it has become a totally different game whereby the more money you have, the more access you have and the more legislation you can influence and when the legislation you're influencing is 
destroying the planet and literally going to kill us all, then I think you should not be allowed to influence that legislation anymore. And I think getting the lobbyists out would be the first thing, getting especially the fossil fuel lobbyists, because what is it, 100, 100 companies are responsible for 70% of the emissions in the world? Mm. I mean, so when you're talking about getting lobbyists out, out of Leinster House, for example, like a lot of people might take issue with that in terms of lobbying around um, social issues, for yeah. example. So like, are you talking about getting corporate lobbyists out or are you talking about like all lobbyists need to go? I would first talk about corporate lobbyists because I do understand why lobbies are needed. Um, I suppose how I do it if I was, you know, benevolent dictator is <laughs> I would look at okay, what are you lobbying for? Is it uh, the death of all civilization and everything on the planet for profit? Then out. Yeah. You know, are you looking to destroy uh, our bogs for a couple of quid? Out. Yeah. Like, are, oh, do you want to sell guns to kill people in Yemen? Out. Like, I would start with, you know, the top really rubbish people yeah. and get them out first. And then obviously the wheel, I'm like, okay. You seem legit. You can stay for a while, you know, just lobbying for charities and NGOs. Yeah. Um, and no, obviously, this isn't like a policy position. I'm not saying all <laughs> lobbyists out, but it is definitely something that needs to be spoken about. Like Exxon, they're recently in the European Parliament, um, refused to show up to a hearing about why they had been suppressing uh, climate change data for since the 70s. So it's almost 50 years. And they didn't show up, which is just basically a big, like, fuck you to, ev- to everyone. <laughs> you can swear, it's okay. Okay. Um, and they didn't show up to the hearings. And there was a big push in the European Parliament to revoke the six lobby badges they have access to. And it was voted down. And it's like, huh. It was voted down. And then it came out that these letters they had sent being like, dare we remind you about all the jobs we provide? Mm. This, is- is, this is the problem, ultimately, I suppose, with... Um, centre-right governments like, like Fine Gael in that jobs trump everything. everything. And um, it's very, it's a, like it's a really great communication point because it's very difficult to argue against it. Even though there's not much credence given to the types of jobs those are or let's say, for example, the tech industry, which is, uh, you know, so evangelised in Ireland yeah. that most, like surely most of the people working in Dublin in tech right now, like in the next 10, 20 years, their jobs are like first against the wall when it comes to automation. Um, and they all hate them anyway. Who who hates who? Their jobs. Their jobs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is that another policy position? That yeah, they pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that's a really tricky thing to do. How do yeah. you convince somebody? If you, if you, when you were going door to door, and you come um, up against someone who's like typical, you know, Fine Gael, uh, voter, like middle class, comfortable, um, you know. Three cars. Three cars. Three cars. Nine uh, coal burners out the back. No. Against the bus car doors. Like, how do you um, <laughs> how do you convince that person at the door who's just like, I don't give a shit as long as our economy's going well and people are in employment that's what's important for Ireland. I think they're easier to convince than a, than a Fine Gael politician because a Fine Gael politician wants to be re-elected. But most people, when you say to them, this will not go on. Like if you said to a child, right, you can go and you can spend all your money today in the sweet shop, but the sweet shop needs a steady income in order to 
keep open so you can spend it all today or you can spend a small bit every day for the next two weeks and the sweet shop will be open for two weeks a child most children would be like oh I'll spend a bit every day so the sweet shop stays open or something I know it's not perfect but most people know that it can't go on and the further we go down this road <laughs> the less we're going to have in order to make a transition the less time we're going to have the less money we're going to have the less freedom in terms of our infrastructure we're going to have and so I think most people will recognise that this is such a short term gain if they're worried about jobs in the future they're probably going to be worried about clean air and clean water and food in the future and so I think that whole oh the jobs the jobs narrative is really pushed hard by Fine Gael, but and people just kind of oh I suppose that makes sense mm. yeah I'll, our jobs are pretty important but like I was saying earlier there is no scenario whereby more jobs can't be created as we transition um, we just have to do it and I think the fear that Fine Gael keep pushing out that we lose our jobs that we lose our agriculture that the big companies will leave us um, is just that a lot of it has no evidence and a lot of it um, doesn't factor in the the result of continuing on the way we are which is like yeah. fiery death I mean I think ultimately Finnegal's you know position on this is it's hard yeah <laughs> it's hard and, and, and it costs money and I want to be re-elected mm. in three years so and nobody is thinking about 10 years or 20 years they're all just thinking about oh well in three years there's a general election in my area so I build a new road for them drag around a barrel of chippings on the campaign trail and I'll get re-elected yeah uh, depresso martini as <laughs> Andrea would say <laughs> and I would also say um, finally um, speaking of Fine Gael, uh you said that if the Green Party went into coalition with Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, that you would consider your your membership. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a radical or crazy thing to say. Um, it's quite logical given the how uh, you know diametrically opposed a lot of the party's um, environmental policies are to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yet pragmatism, boo! Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know. In order to get these kind of things done, done, <clears throat> and in order to gain influence, sometimes those marriages of convenience have to be made. Now, obviously, last time that happened, mm. shit show. Um, but in order to kind of gain leverage and influence, and also knowing the electoral power that the Green Party has now, which um, the big er parties are going to be very conscious of. Mm-hmm these kind of things can need to happen for you guys to get your policy through I if I believed that Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael actually could or would begin to implement the changes that we need not just passing a waste reduction bill that has been sitting there for months but if I believed they could actually start looking at how profit interacts with our environment and start looking at ways in 
decoupling environmental destruction from whatever sort of economy they want, um, then I would go, I would look at going, uh, not leaving the party. But I just do not believe that they have a single drop of sincere desire to act on climate. And what I think will happen, and first of all, on this, this reporter pushed and pushed and pushed me. And I was like, well, I'm not going for the doll. Oh, I'm not elected yet. Oh, the count hasn't been done yet. Um, oh, this is a hypothetical situation. And I was like, OK, fine. If you're going to keep at this, I would leave the party. And then the next thing I see is Saoirse McHugh playing hardball with Aim Ryan. And I was like, all right, settle down. And the news talk had me on the next day. And they were like, is that not what you said? And I was like, no, I did say that. And then the next article was Saoirse McHugh doubles down. And I was like, OK. <laughs> Relax. Welcome to the world of Irish journalism. It was nonsense. It's it such a nothing burger. Um, I think what they w- what would happen is they would totally cannibalise the Green Party and spit them out again. And I think going into power with Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, both of whom also would not go into power as a minority party, because everyone knows what happens to minority parties. I think it would totally set the political side of the environmental movement back. Yeah. And I think it would be a disaster. Would you ever consider moving into Fine Gael if you were guaranteed that you that you could input into the policy of the green world? <laughs> Fine Gael. No, I just don't believe it. I do I would have to wait Why and see them do it. <laughs> but I just feel like cuz watching repeatedly you could see there was loads of people who influenced the party yeah. movement and if they hadn't have been in the party it may not have moved that way so maybe if you were in there you could change it I don't think Fine Gael <laughs> would let me in within a hair's breadth of them I if I I'd have to wait and see Fine Gael moving because this will encompass everything this will you know our rural and town planning will yeah. have to be mainstreamed we will have to look at nationalising things because we cannot the profit model doesn't work when you have to factor in human well-being and environmental well-being and it's not just going to be one one policy or one piece of legislation this is going to have to be a total 360 it's going to have to be a total 360 for them and I just don't trust them. I wouldn't trust them to clean my toilet <laughs> I just they have shown absolutely no regard for the environment um, and they know they haven't because then they spend so much money talking about it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's almost like you know you've something to hide. Saoirse, you're part of, of the green wave. Um, as you've I- identified, um, that's something that the Green Party has been pushing and potentially something that other uh, mainstream parties see as something to ride uh, without necessarily um, doing anything uh, to contribute to it. What is next for you? Oh, a holiday. <laughs> a holiday, yeah. Uh, I don't know yet. So, like, this election kind of got a bit out of hand there towards the end. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, of course, people have been saying to me, like, oh, would you run in the general? And then I'm thinking, lads, this is Mayo. And I think I probably would. And I have to spend a while thinking, like, is my ego getting involved here? Um, because... Another part of me is like, no, no, you can just retire now. You've been famous for a day. You can just hang out with your hens. It's all right. One of your hens is called Panty, I hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and pa- I couldn't believe when Panty Bliss saw that. I was like, oh, my God, my hens are so famous. But yeah, named after Panty Bliss. 
Um, and now he knows. <laughs> but I think I'll probably stay um, at least for a while trying to get into politics because I do think it will be vital for there to be top-down change. Like, we can't just stop using plastic bottles if there's nowhere to refill a water bottle, <laughs> you know? Like, um, So I'm not fully sure yet. I suppose one way or the other I'll keep... My whole, my whole life has changed in that the two years leading up to this, I was desperately trying to get articles published. I was desperately trying to, like, intern at the Mayo County Council Climate Change Office and... It was no, 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 no. And now people are sending me press releases and that Mayo County Council office are like, oh, we love your input. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too late, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my life will be different. I like. I might just take a full-time trolling of Leo on Twitter. Always an option. I'm not fully <laughs> sure yet if anyone's paying for that. I will be there. Um, but I think I, yeah, I'll probably just stay at it in one way or the other. Please do. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been really great. Saoirse McHugh. Thank you. The new star. Oh, you star. <laughs> of Irish politics. <laughs> now it's time for Get in the Sea. Andrea. This week's Get in the Sea is very purposeful because rivers do get in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I should be a geologist. But the reason we are talking about rivers is because recently there's been a spate of rivers around the country who are being managed for flooding by the OPW. And what is happening is that all the wildlife is being scraped out and they're putting up concrete walls with no thought about the environmental impact on A, people's eyes and the feast of beauty that is going into their eyes is no longer. It's Concrete City at a river and like it's in Clonakilty, it's been uh, done in Limerick, it's been like all across the country. We, like we just have these decisions that are being made that nobody seems to be thinking when they're making these decisions about what is going to happen to the towns and cities that they're doing it to. So that comes on top of the Phoenix Park. Yeah, so another OPW um, move is the strategic review of the Phoenix Park. And there's various things that are suggested that are good ideas, like, um, you know, making the magazine for it, not a kip. And then there are things that are really bad, like proposed retail, um, this idea for a funicular railway to go from um, Island Bridge, the Memorial Gardens, up to the magazine for it you know shuttle buses and and this kind of lens that's all about increasing tourism numbers which is just not what we should be constantly focusing on like there are other things important um more important than just packing tourists into places and actually we should have amenities that we enjoy and aren't focusing them on um you know they're making the, money making money making money yeah so this week's get in the sea goes to OPW that sounded like a cheerleader or rather maybe a more <laughs> their new, decisions the, de- the, the decisions <laughs> that they are making that are perhaps not Crap. the best things <laughs> it's very uh, elongated get in the sea although I do like the rivers also getting in the sea that's my fave and now for our fave bits this week one of my favourite bits is Penny Lane Panty's new bar right beside Panty Bar uh, on Capel Street really cute queer bar very much into it it opened last weekend nice place for a date 
I would imagine, if you're the dating kind. My other fave bit is new Irish film out this weekend. It's called Poppy Julo. It's by John Butler. Beautiful, sweet story about a weatherman having a crisis and how he befriends a migrant worker. Set in Los Angeles, shot beautifully. Just go see it. Support Irish film. Go Papi Chulo. Mine is also a film and I am very late to the party on this one and I apologise for that but knock down the house. What a documentary. I just thought it was stunning and very in keeping with our guest uh, today. Strong uh, vocal women coming through politics is always a good thing. AOC is just the dream, isn't she? She is. I'm obsessed. So cool. She is just so, so cool, cool and yeah. sound and smart and everything she says And is I deadly. love the whole way that she was the, brought into the party like mm. the, it's so interesting I like it just should be ma- everyone should be made watch it and also um, Siren Alert that RBG which is about Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a brilliant movie as well and that is on Netflix as well so go and watch all these fab women and then the reason why my energy is very low today <laughs> is <laughs> festival season is now in full swing big up to Forbidden Fruit at the weekend what at the time of my life love it Go festivals. It's my favourite thing in the world. Like, Paying for it now though, aren't you? <laughs> she is. She is. <laughs> uh, what festivals do you have coming up actually? Oh, well, it just so happens. Mayo, we're going to Turkfest on Friday. Correct. Turkfest in, um, this weekend on Inish Turk. One of my favourite places around. And then I think I'm going to every festival. I just can't get enough of them. Body and Soul? Yeah. Check. Electric I'm- Picnic. Check. Um, yes, festival okay. season is back in full swing. I'm very conscious of being festival fit this year, so I'm having no unnecessary weekends unless they're festival driven. Is is that going to happen? Am I that disciplined? Absolutely not. Okay, great. Well, and go- you need to get in training to get festival fit. You need to train yourself to session through the festival. So if you just stop sessioning and then arrive at the festival, you'll be in bits. I feel like this is counterintuitive. My festival fit training is live like a monk and then go to Glastonbury. Uh, we have very different festival training. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll do my one. Okay. And you do your one. And at the end of the summer, we'll see who has the most serotonin left <laughs> in their bodies. Deal. Okay, New podcast. <laughs> okay. Another thing that we need as sustenance uh, is your money. <laughs> Um, patreon.com forward slash just so we can go to all the festivals <laughs> no, that's, that's not, a lie that's a lie um, the funds are directed towards the payment and work that this podcast does and needs to be uh, sustained patreon.com forward slash United Ireland we're trying to come up with a new way to ask for your money <laughs> we have not done that yet one thing we will do is make a authentic plea that in order for this to be sustainable, um, we do need your dosh. It's not that much at all. We're just asking you for a minimum entry of three euro a month. And if you can't afford that, just please spread the word about the podcast. And now that we're on iTunes, <laughs> you can review us there. Give us now five stars. That really helps bump us up. And we really appreciate and it. And a little comment. It's so nice reading comments when yeah. they're nice. When they're nice. <laughs> Only nice comments, please. And uh, also to everybody who has uh, supported us so far on Patreon. Thank you. Seriously, you are all gem balls and we love you. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Welcome back again. Sustained welcome back to the podcast moment to Susie Bennett. Thank you to Crystal Clear for our music. He's someone having a great festival season. Sarah Fox for our design and you for listening and all of our patron pals. You can find links to all our socials on our website. 
unitedirelandpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying listening, do let us know. But even better than that, give some cash. Finally for this week, this week's tuna chicken roll. I've made a hashtag with the pictures of a tuna chicken and a roll. So if you want to search for the tuna chicken roll every week, you can do that. Amazing. It's fab. Yeah. I didn't see that. Okay, oh my cool. God, it's so good. I'm so digital diva queen here. Uh, this week's tuna chicken roll is hot toddy down to love. The only thing getting me through this week is music. We've been Una Malali and Andrea Horan. This has been United, United Ireland. Ireland. And that was Mayo.
Down to 